What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Pro Hope Podcast. My name is Penda Jai. I'm the host and the founder. This week, I wanted to talk a little bit about fantasies and how they are incorporated into our sex lives. I mean, <laughs> whenever our sex lives resume back to normal, that is. Because I can fantasize all I want with these damn vibrators, but it's not fun when you don't know when that fantasy may or may not have the opportunity to come true. I'm for real over here looking at my vibrator, the rabbit with the curved shaft, pretending it's somebody's big dick, just hitting these walls. <laughs> but for real, I know that fantasizing is a difficult task for some of us, especially when fantasy can involve sexual behaviors that hold shame and stigma. For those of us that have been taught to uphold monogamy, what do you do if your fantasy involves multiple partners? And for other people who identify as heterosexual but fantasize about having queer sexual encounters, how do we allow ourselves the space to explore the full capacity of our imagination without shutting out visions of ourselves, living our best desires in ways that don't subscribe to what we've been taught is quote unquote normal sex? And beyond allowing the incredible fantasy to form in our minds, how do we go about living them? and accepting that they are part of our psyche and represent some part of our sexual desire. All of that is coming up, but first let's get into the glows and grows of the week. A little reminder that grows and glows were born out of a conversation on how to best communicate to your partner post-sex. So glows are ecstatic, orgasmic moments that you want to give praise to, and grows have us questioning, what the fuck just happened? Was that even sex? <laughs> Grows are things that need little improvements. So our glow of the week is that demon time could potentially be the new BET uncut of this generation. Man, I miss BET uncut, y'all. Like for real, sneaking up the stairs once my parents went to sleep, trying not to wake them up just to watch for me, really the first visualization of just like beautiful black women, bodies, asses, tits, like just seeing them so uncut, so raw, dancing to our favorite R&B, our favorite hip hop, all the ratchet shit. Like before I was even watching porn, it was BET uncut. <laughs> but first of all, before we compare the two, what even is demon time? So with the strip clubs being closed, strippers and exotic dancers have been forced to get their coins however they can. Ain't no shame in that, sis. I support you. <laughs> Tell me your Venmo. But all of that has meant that Things are literally living on Instagram. So hosted by Justin LeBoy, who's a former professional basketball player, and Justin Dior Combs, P. Diddy's son, these virtual strip clubs provide work mostly while wearing masks to remain anonymous for money via cash app. So I don't know if any of you watched um, Euphoria, but I'm thinking of, of the one character who's in this sort of cosplay world with the mask and the wig, and she is just living her best OnlyFans life. And I'm just like, yes, sis, see, that, that's how I'm trying to come out of quarantine, okay? With a whole OnlyFans account. So with these strip clubs being closed, they literally just pin their cash app into the live so that patrons can tip them directly. And of course, all of these celebrities are making appearances, showing up in the comments. <laughs> and in many cases, it's more lucrative than real life strip clubs. And so it's also better than other sites who previously have charged strippers and exotic dancers to pay just to use that platform. So one dancer actually told the New York Times that she made $18,000 on Cash App by dancing on Demon Time. That's right, 18,000, y'all. And another dancer 
told the Daily Beast that she made 5K in one night. Like, I don't understand why I'm here sitting at my table working eight to five, eight to six remote when I could just be just popping off on Demon Time. Like, I'm really considering it. So many dancers also use like Demon Time as a way to direct more traffic to their OnlyFans and their personal accounts. So it's such a lucrative business model, to be completely honest. What y'all think? I mean, I'm seriously considering it for real, for real. <laughs> someone hold me accountable. Someone, someone make sure I follow through with this. But never have I been closer to stripping in my life than right now. <laughs> I think that, you know, nothing can compare to BET Uncut. But I do feel like there's going to be a shift in online content in terms of stripping, erotic dancing, OnlyFans, sex work. I'm really curious to see how it's all going to shift. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Why not? You can do it in the comfort of your own home. You don't have to engage with people who are rude or disrespectful or don't value your body. I mean, sounds like a win. So our grow of the week is simple. Fetishization ain't a compliment. We don't want to hear you're not my type, but or you're pretty for a dark skinned girl or any of that bullshit. It is merely racism wrapped up in a pretty package. Like keep it moving. Obsessing over having mixed kids with me or saying I'm exotic. None of that shit flies. OK, it's it's not OK. It's not politically correct or anything. Don't get it confused, though. As black women, as black men, as black people and being constantly told that our bodies are undesirable. I can understand how fetishization may appear to be a compliment, but honey, this is plain old racism and you deserve to be loved for who you are at the core and not for how your body fits into a fantasy. So just keep that, keep that in the front of your mind. Okay. If someone comes at you with that, just shut it down immediately. It's not all right. It's not a compliment. So let's go ahead and get into the dark meat segment of the show. My favorite segment, the meatiest. <laughs> I love meat. Okay, take that any way that you want to take it. But the dark meat section, back to our fantasy talk. Have you ever had the courage to act out one of your fantasies? Well, okay, let's break it down even further. Have you allowed your imagination to simply construct a fantasy? A complete visual of what your body and mind would crave sexually if there weren't any limits? A place where your truest desires find ease and generously flow from inception to fruition. Take a second to think about this. If you had the freedom to grab your fantasy with both hands and run with it, would you? I mean, the kind of run where you are freely skipping and twirling carefree black curl in a wide open field like curls popping, curls bouncing. <laughs> what would your fantasy look like? Would you hold it tight in both of your hands? Would you run with it, take it, and go with it in a heartbeat in a second? Those are the questions that I'm asking myself. If you hesitated answering any of those questions, what is the holdup? The beauty of fantasies is that they live in your mind if you choose not to act them out. Like they purely exist in your mind. So what is the fear behind just simply thinking about them? Is there trauma in just allowing ourselves to even think about feeling good just to kind of imagine it? Is it because your fantasy resembles some sort of sexual act that you feel ashamed of? It's interesting because at a Proho event, there was someone who said that they didn't 
visit porn sites very often because they feared that they would fall down a rabbit hole and stumble upon a porn category that might be outside of their normal sexual behaviors. But my advice is fall, bish, fall. (laughs) Go ahead, slide down that rabbit hole. For real, like that has definitely happened to me. I've ended up watching cuckolding of all things because it was recommended to me, etc. And my mind literally spiraled. I can understand the power play aspect, the desire to submit and to dominate, but the politics of it all. I was literally thinking the entire time about all of the racist shit that I've encountered, about my black brothers being shot for simply living. So seeing a white man watch while his white wife had sex with a black man, my pussy dried right the fuck up for real. Yes, (laughs) that's a fact. So I understand that there is opportunity to fall into porn that you don't like. But that, of course, means the opportunity exists to fall into something that makes you feel really good. So back to this person from my event. They preferred to support their faves on OnlyFans, which I also am down for that, as opposed to being privy to the many categories that may pique their interest on Pornhub or wherever you (laughs) choose to get your content from. But those categories are honestly things that they're fearful of. So I'm curious to know, where does this hesitation come from? Why do we turn away from things that could make us feel extremely great? Let's just say that your fantasies aren't coming from porn or OnlyFans. Where did they come from? Did they emerge from a previous sexual experience or did it come from somewhere else? It turns out that our fantasies can spring from several different sources. Surprise! (laughs) Based on a survey from Psychology Today, around 4,000 adults were surveyed. And here's what people said they thought were the biggest influences on where their favorite fantasies came from. So number one, the most influential is their own imagination. And I totally relate to this. Your imagination is your safe space. It's it's the only time where you can literally create your own world, how you navigate through the world, how you relate to your sexual partners, um, how you see yourself, how you want to be portrayed in your ideal world and in this ideal persona that you kind of build up of yourself, right? Maybe it's It's how you wish that you could walk through the world, how you wish that you could navigate sexual relationships. Your imagination allows for that creative energy to really decide who and how you engage sexually. And maybe in ways that you don't feel like in your real life, you could act out confidently or feeling like you even have access to those people or to that kind of sexual exploration. So I think this makes so much sense. (laughs) The imagination is really the source for all fantasies. So number two is something that people saw in pornography or erotica. You know what? This is number two. It's the Scottie Pippen of fantasies, (laughs) which I have said before, and I will say it again. I think pornography and erotica can be an extremely, extremely crucial educational tool to finding your kink, describing and witnessing and seeing some of the sexual behaviors that you identify with that maybe you don't have access to seeing or engaging with in your normal life. So of course, porn can also, you know, have its negative qualms. It can lead to addiction or it can maybe come in between you and your partner. Of course, all of those things are true. But I also think that it's very valid and holds so much content that if you're willing and open to you know, kind of, like I said, falling down that rabbit hole and coming across different tribes, different kinks that you have maybe never even imagined you would be interested in that didn't even know could turn you on. And you're finding this new arousal, this new passionate desire to try new things. 
I think that it can be extremely valuable to stretching your mind, stretching that imagination. So while porn and erotica is number two position, I definitely think that it supports your imagination in creating these fantasies. Okay, so number three is a previous sexual experience that has happened as an adult. Yep, you know, we've all had that good dick, good pussy that you just didn't quite get enough of. (laughs) Yep, let's go ahead and fantasize about that shit happening again. I think it's so normal that maybe we've had interactions with people that we didn't feel like were fully developed. They didn't reach their highest potential. So I think it's completely valid and normal to have thoughts about re-engaging with those situations, with those people, and maybe doing things differently, like a a complete (laughs) do-over. Maybe you said something in the moment that was weird or kind of like threw off the energy, or it was so incredible, but you didn't have a chance to, you know, really investigate and live in it and explore more with that person. So I get it. Like we all, (laughs) we all have some things in our past we'd like to revisit. So this makes sense to me that a lot of people feel like, you know, as adults, as we're growing and we're becoming more familiar with who we are and what our desires are and how we can ask for them and demand them and and receive the pleasure that we deserve. It's only right that sometimes we want to go go back and revisit those amazing times. So I support that and I can heavily relate. (laughs) So number four is a spontaneous and inexplicable sexual urge. Yep, sometimes the pussy just starts pulsating uncontrollably and you start thinking about how dope it would be if you could just get it in right here, right now in public. How do y'all feel about having sex in public? First of all, I think we need a whole episode on just that because it's one of my favorite ways to have sex. Like the adrenaline. Oh, it's so hot. If you haven't tried it, I mean, in quarantine, I feel like now is the chance. Like your chances of getting caught are a lot lower. (laughs) A lot fewer people are outside right now. But yes, I totally understand this spontaneous urge. Like I think sometimes it just hits you in a very inconvenient time and you start fantasizing about how you could act it out. Like maybe not right in this moment, but maybe the the arousal comes from thinking in two hours, I'm going to see my partner and I'll be able to fulfill this need that I have right now, this urge, this desire that's growing, that's burning, that's simmering inside of me. I'm start, I start to construct a fantasy about what it will look like when I finally get home where I can masturbate or when I finally meet a person and we can act out this fantasy and this, uh, this energy that's building and growing. So I'm with that. I get it. I get how this can shape a fantasy. I think the fantasy is all about the execution, right? You have the seed, it's budding, and now you want to see it grow into a flower. So the fantasy becomes all about when you can act on those urges. When is it going to be? Is it in 30 minutes? Is it in an hour? Is it tomorrow? Is it this weekend? I think that's where the fantasy begins. Number five is something that I read in a book. Yep, I think that honestly, I need to return more to erotica. I don't really read that much fiction or maybe even nonfiction sometimes, okay? Real life. (laughs) Any real life text or fiction text that really alludes to sexual behavior. I think I need to take it back, maybe pick up some more Zane novels, get into the erotica. I mean, I just finished reading Normal People. It's now a show on Hulu. And there were definitely moments where I was fantasizing about those sexual tension moments, you know, occurring between myself and a real partner. So I 
I understand. And I think back to the time that I was reading Fifty Shades of Grey on the train, (laughs) y'all. And definitely knew that I was being aroused and having fantasies of being tied up and whipped and slapped and all of that bondage and BDSM content that was happening in Fifty Shades of Grey. So I think erotica is really, really, really strong component in shaping our fantasies. And I mean, if you think about just how much we imagine and and think when we're reading books, I think it's so it's so predictable, actually, that erotica would lead us to create these fantasies because our brain really has a chance to take it to new realms when we're reading and when we're we're creating these characters and developing characters that an author has so thoughtfully placed on pages. Number six is I don't know. That's real. Some people just don't fucking know where the fantasy comes from. It pops up. It's here. It's valid. We're going with it. Number seven, a previous sexual experience from childhood or adolescence. I think this one is extremely sensitive. Like if it's a childhood or adolescent sexual experience that was traumatic, I think it can obviously be very detrimental to your fantasies, perhaps. Um, If it is traumatic, I I encourage you to do the work to see a therapist to identify the trauma, see how it's affecting you and your relationships and how you deal with vulnerability, how you approach intimacy and trust with people that you're having sex with. I think those are all things that you have to consider and evaluate and you're sensing the trauma, experiencing it. How does it affect you? Are you ready to share this trauma experience with your partners, with the therapist? Are you ready to let it go? Have you... Have you let it serve you and, and you, you're, you've you witnessed how it affects you and your decisions in current day and present day and you're ready to release it and let it go? I think all of that grounding work is really important if your childhood sexual experiences were traumatic and are shaping your fantasies in real life and in current time. If it was something that was really like flippant or exciting when you were a teenager and your first love and your crush, I think that's beautiful to go back to kind of that playfulness of those younger sexual experiences. So I think this one exists on a vast spectrum, but I do think it's really important to kind of hone in on how childhood and adolescent sexual experiences are shaping your mind and the way that you think about fantasies and how you act out on those fantasies in real life, in current life, I guess, as an adult. So number eight is something I saw in the movies or on TV. You know what? This, I'm surprised, is actually ranked so low on the list because I think visual stimulation is so incredibly high on the list, right? Like, it's something that I feel like we are engrossed in so much media day to day um, with, with Netflix, with movies, with just a lot of short content, even on our phones and on platforms that I think that it's really high on my list personally. Movies, I can, you know, just feel myself getting excited and and thinking about the possibilities of having sex with someone. <laughs> I think for me, when I watch a movie and there's a sex scene or something that turns me on and say I'm watching it with a partner, I get really turned on. The fantasy is all about the energy between us. You know, I'm sitting on the sofa with someone that I'm sexually attracted to. Who's going to make the first move? Am I going to lean over and touch them? Are they going to lean over and touch me? Who's going to start it? Who's going to ignite the passion that we're both feeling through this visual representation? So I think that's really where Netflix and chill was born, y'all. Come on. Of course, visual stimulation on movies or TV shapes our fantasies, okay? Half the population relies on Netflix and chill. Half the population relies on visual stimulation to create fantasies, (laughs) real talk. 
Okay, last on our list is a sexual opportunity that they've passed up. And this one I can relate to so much. Like a lot of my fantasies are formed around the shit that I wish that I had done with someone during sex, but was either too self-conscious to go for it or to speak up and ask for it. So does that happen to you? Like, damn, I wish I would have had him suck my toes a little deeper, a little longer. (laughs) I feel that a lot of my fantasies are formed around previous sexual partners and maybe just never taking it to that point of sexual exploration. So then those lingering thoughts are left to create new fantasies and to hope that one day, one day, one day, inshallah, we make it to a point again where we can discover and revisit those fantasies and create new, new memories sexually. So not always knowing where our fantasies come from isn't surprising because we aren't always able to be introspective or pinpoint why we want the things we want sexually or otherwise. There are a lot of factors that subtly influence the content of our sex fantasies in ways that we may not realize from our culture to our evolutionary history to our personalities. So to put it simply, our fantasies are unique products of biological, psychological and social environmental factors. So how much does the actual content of a fantasy matter? Well, you're going to have to wait until next week when I share some of my fantasies and break down exactly what they mean. Y'all, I'm getting personal here. Let's just say that a lot of my fantasies include toes being sucked, voyeurism, BDSM, and face sitting. Goddamn, I miss face sitting. I need a real person. (laughs) Pray for me, y'all. Pray for me. But let's wrap up this episode with our Black Dr. Ruth segment and answer an anonymous question from our audience. This comes from Instagram. I've realized that whenever my partner tries to give me oral, I always push them away before climaxing. I find that tripping gets me off and sexually pleasing my partners usually gets me off. I'm not a huge fan of vibrators unless I have a partner and a hers and hers strap on. My question is, are there any exercises that I could try or could it be a mental block that is causing me to push my partner away from an oral climax? They seem to be upset when I do, so I'd love to fix this. Thanks. I think that this is a dope question because I think a lot of us have this idea that sex ends with orgasm and that's just not the truth of it, right? Sex is this vast experience that doesn't necessarily even have to have an end. It can end in orgasm or it can end after orgasm with touch, with emotional connection, with intellectual connection, with any type of small sense of sensuality. And it really begins whenever you feel your desires igniting within you and that you decide to act on those desires with your partner, with yourself, with multiple partners. So anything that exists within that time span of when you decide sex begins and sex ends is totally valid and justified. So if your body is kind of rejecting oral sex in terms of leading up to orgasm, that's totally fine, boo. You should do everything that feels good. If only a little bit of oral stimulation turns you on and feels amazing, even if it's for one second, that one second is so precious and so valuable that your partner really should be on the same page with you and understanding that that's all you need, right? And then you can move on to penetration with strap-ons and hers and hers strap-on or trimming. I feel like you can be okay with sex taking different momentums and different speeds of acceleration and deceleration, right? So maybe you work up to that orgasm, you're edging, you're almost there during oral sex, and then 
you move on to something else that feels even better for your body. And I don't think your partner, you know, should take it personally. I can understand how maybe there's some ego involved or feeling like they're not doing something right or they're not needed in that way. But I think the more that you communicate your desires and expressing that, hey, it's totally not you. It's just something, it's a me thing. <laughs> My body is telling me that I've had enough and I want to get onto something else. I want to maybe switch to pleasing you. I think all of these conversations are valid. And if the oral climax is something that maybe you realize once talking through it, if maybe if you're seeing a therapist and realizing that you have some trauma rooted around why oral climax just isn't doing it for you, those are also things to explore and to communicate with your partner if you feel comfortable, if they're feeling some kind of doubt or guilt because they're not able to get you off orally. So I think all of that is valid. Take your time. Know that there is so much space within sex to lead up to orgasm and to come down from orgasm. And there are many ways to achieve orgasm. So if it's not through oral stimulation, I think that that's okay. I think you shouldn't feel any guilt about that and just communicate it, communicate it, communicate it to your partner. And also just be confident in knowing that that is just not what you want. And that's okay. Like everybody is different. And, you know, I love a good oral <laughs> orgasm <laughs> from head, but it's, if it's not for you, it's not for you, boo. And that's totally fine. So just stay, stay true, stay firm in what feels good to you. Obviously, there's some give and take, but I think really ultimately pleasure is yours to define. And if this partner isn't willing to understand that, maybe they ain't the one for you, boo. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for submitting that question. Please, anyone, if you're listening, if you have questions, DM me, um, email me, text me, all of that good stuff. Thanks so much for tuning in. We drop every Wednesday on all the podcast platforms. Please like, subscribe, share, follow us on Instagram, all of that good stuff. And we'll see you next week. Peace.